If you're a Christian, does it show through your good works, or is it your little secret? Your answer reveals whether your faith is living or dead. Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Ephesians chapter 2 and God's reminder for believers about the result of salvation. From his series, The Word, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, What the Bible Says About Salvation. You know, over the years, I've had people ask me, uh, where would you turn in the Bible to get the clearest presentation of the gospel? And of course, there's uh, John 3.16 and Romans 8 and Isaiah 53. But I actually believe the best place to go if you want to present the gospel to somebody is Ephesians chapter 2. And the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2 lay out the gospel in such a way that it's almost impossible not to understand it. And I believe it's a great place uh, to frame the gospel for people you're trying to share your faith with. And today we're going to finish up what we started on Friday. We've called this What the Bible Says About Salvation. It's a part of a larger study, which is entitled The Word, My Signature Series on the Bible. You know, um, if you stay around a place long enough, you get to do some of your favorite things. And these are some of my favorite messages on the Word of God. And I wanted to share them with you during this particular month. When we get to the next month, uh, we're going to do the series uh, Prayer of the Great Adventure. That's coming up in the future. Lots of exciting things are happening uh, during these days. By the way, during this month, if you send a gift to Turning Point, we have an incredible resource for you. It's called Living the 66 Books of the Bible, 287-page hardcover book, and it is the practical application of every book in the Bible. You really want this book. Uh, you know, believe it or not, I'm on the mailing list and I got mine yesterday. So I opened it up and I thought, well, how thrilling it's going to be for people. When they get this package in the mail, they open this up and see this beautiful book and then dig into its content. I'm hoping you'll get a chance to do that. And you can have that chance if you'll send a gift during the month of June. Thank you, because this is a very important month. When you send a gift, ask for your copy of Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and it's another way for us to say thank you, and I hope you'll do it today. Let's get started with part two of what the Bible says about salvation. People are surprised to discover that there are two families in the world, not just God's family. There are two families. The Bible says that the devil has a family, and the sons of disobedience are the children of the devil. You say, oh, that's a terrible thing for you to say in this pulpit. Well, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. We are dead, deceived, disobedient, and we're defiled. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, I did not come to church today to hear you tell me how dead, deceitful, disobedient, and defiled I am. Well, I am bound to tell you what the Word of God says, and I'm not telling you anything that's true about you that wasn't true about me before Almighty God intervened in my life. And some of you who are sitting there thinking, well, that's not me because I'm a Christian. You just need to look back over your shoulder and remember what Paul is saying is, this is the way we all were before God got a hold of us. He says, we're defiled. Listen to this. Among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is a very strong verse. It says that before Almighty God comes into our lives to rescue us, 
from the pit which we have dug for ourselves. We live according to the lust. And that's not just talking about sexuality here. The word lust just means unbridled desires. What I want to do, what I want to say, where I want to go, and when I want to go there. Lusts and desires are simply man living for his own selfish means. And that's the way we are until Almighty God gets a hold of us. You say, well, aren't there great philanthropists who aren't Christians? Yes, but if you just go behind their gift to their motive, you'll discover that even the best things we do apart from God are self-centered actions. The Bible says that our righteousnesses before Christ are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. We're dead. We're deceived. We are deluded in our own minds about the way the world works. We're disobedient. We step out of line often and we're defiled. And because of all of that, there's a fifth thing that's true of us. And that is we're doomed. We're doomed. What it says in verse three is, and we're by nature, the children of wrath, just as others. Now get the picture. Here's what he's doing. He's preaching this message in Ephesians two to believers. He's saying, I want you to look back over your shoulder now and remember that you were dead and you were deceived and you were deluded and you were doomed. All of that was true. And if it weren't for the power of God that he mentions in verse 19, you'd still be there. All of us here today who might take pride in the fact that we've accepted Christ, we need to remember from where we have come. (laughs) Because every one of us, no matter how good we may felt we were until almighty God got a hold of our lives. We were everything that is here listed in these first three verses. We were all doomed. Children of wrath, it says, just as the others. But I want you to notice something. I want you to underline two words in your Bible. And these are the two greatest words in the Bible. But God. (laughs) Say it out loud. But God. If you read the Bible, that's the theme of the whole Bible. Adam and Eve were lost forever because of their sin. But God. Noah would have been drowned with the rest of the people of the world, but God. Abraham would have been forever forsaken because of his sin, but God. Jonah would never have been given a second chance, but God. Go through the Bible and everywhere you look, there's the difference. And it's wrapped up in two words, but God. Say it again, but God. God is all the difference. We are lost in our sin, but almighty God came with the remedy. And the reason for our need of salvation is underlined for us in the first three verses. And the remedy for salvation comes now in these next verses. And I want to present this remedy in this way. I want to just have you look at your Bibles and I want to underline the key words that are involved in the remedy. I want to give you the formula for God's remedy. All right. First of all, the first part of the formula is rich mercy. Notice what it says in verse four, but God who is rich in mercy. Now mercy is a term which means that to withhold a penalty that is deserved. Sometimes I hear people talking about they want justice. Friend, when it comes to God, we don't want justice. We want mercy, amen? Amen. Justice means we get what we deserve. Mercy means God withholds what we deserve from us. I used to pray when I would go into an exam in seminary, oh God, have mercy. You know, I wanted mercy from God. I didn't want justice. I'd studied as hard as I could, but I always felt like it was never enough. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. 
And there's a great passage that describes that over in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Almighty God is rich in mercy. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, if you knew what I did, if you knew what my life was like, you wouldn't be telling me that I'm a candidate for salvation. No, I couldn't say that to you unless I knew something about Almighty God. He's rich in mercy. Yes, he is. He's rich in mercy. We sing sometimes this hymn, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. And that's the truth, isn't it? His mercy is great. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The mercy of Almighty God. The first part of the formula is rich mercy. God willingly withholding from us what we deserve. Here's the second part of the formula, great love. Notice what it says in the same verse, because of his great love with which he loved us. Why has God given us his mercy? Why are we here today if we've embraced Christianity? Why are we under the plan of God's mercy? Very simple, because of God's great love. God loved us. You say, why did he love us? Because God is love. It's not anything we've ever done. We don't deserve to be loved, but the Bible says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God has commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John says, in this the love of God was manifested to us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Do you know the reason why we don't have to stay down there in death and deception and delusion and all of that because God is rich in mercy. God has great love. Let me say to you as clearly as I can today, whoever you may be listening to me, almighty God loves you. If you were the only person ever to inhabit planet earth, he would have sent his only son to die just for you. That's how much he loves you. He is rich in mercy and he's great in love. And the third part of the formula is he's rich in grace. Notice what it says in verse 5. In fact, if you read your Bibles carefully, you notice that he emphasizes this in these verses three times. Three times Paul talks about God's great grace. In verse 5, he says, by grace you've been saved. In verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace. And in verse 8, for by grace are you saved. God's mercy is keeping back from us what we deserve. And God's grace is giving to us what we don't deserve. God keeps back the penalty. And then he gives us his own righteousness so that we can pass the holiness test. You see, you can't pass the holiness test in your own way. You have to have someone take the test for you. And almighty God dispatched his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to take the holiness test for you and for me. And what does he do? He gives us a 100% on the test. 
through the merit of his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And when Paul writes about it, he can hardly contain himself. Do you know why? Because Paul needed a lot of grace, don't you know? Over in his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy 1. He said, although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love. Paul said, I was about the most despicable person you can imagine when it comes to the faith. He wasn't just against Christ. He persecuted those who believed in Christ. He blasphemed Christ. But Almighty God saved him. And as Paul looks back over his life and reviews what had happened, every time he thinks about it, he goes off on a spiritual journey about the grace of God. You know what? All of us here today, we could say this honestly. There but for the grace of God, I go. How is it that you were born in this country? How is it that you were born in a place where the word of God is taught and preached in churches and on the radio and on television and books are written about it? Do you think that's the way it is throughout the culture of the whole world? Of course not. It is the abundant grace of God that has reached out to you and brought you to himself. For the Bible says, by grace we are saved. So the Bible says that the formula, the remedy, is made up of rich mercy and great love and great grace. And then I want you to notice the fourth thing, free gift. Free gift. Because of the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God, he can offer to every one of us the free gift of eternal life. This is what it says in the word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If anyone is a Christian here today, it is because there was a day in your life when you accepted the free gift of eternal life. Purchased by what Jesus did on the cross, he offers you free gift of eternal life. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't make sense to me. I've been always taught that you don't get anything for free. And someone would say, yeah, if it sounds too good to be true, it's because it's too good to be true. Well, this sounds too good to be true, but it's true. My wife gave me this beautiful watch, and I love this watch. It's a wonderful token of her love. But suppose when Donna gave this to me, and I unwrapped it, I said, honey, how much did it cost? And finally, I squeezed it out of her, and I went and got my own personal checkbook, and I wrote her a check for it. I'm going to pay for this. No, honey, I want you to have it. It's a gift. No, I'm going to pay for it. If you pay for it, it's not a gift. It's only a gift if it's given to you freely, without any cost to you. And listen to me, this is the good news of the gospel. I know you probably thought I was dragging this whole congregation down in verses one, two, three, when I was talking about how dead we were, how deluded we were, how sick we were apart from God. But here's the good news. God wants to reach down into that pit and bring us up by his rich mercy and his rich grace and his great love. And he wants to give us, listen to me, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you're a Christian today, all you have done, you haven't done anything worth us talking about here today. You just accepted the gift. That's all. Suppose Donna gave me this watch. And I said, honey, that's the most beautiful watch I've ever seen. My goodness, it got a little date thing in there. It tells you what date it is. It's just beautiful. It shines. Well, why don't you just hold on to it? Maybe someday I'll take it. I would break her heart, wouldn't I? She would wonder, I mean, what in the world has gone wrong with my husband? 
I want to give him a free gift and he won't receive it. I've already paid for the whole thing. You see, I only get the free gift if I receive it. And the way you receive the free gift is the last part of the formula, through faith. The gift of God, not of works. Watch this. It's not of works. And listen to what Paul says. You know why it's not of works? Lest any man should boast. (laughs) If we all got to heaven and we got there by works, heaven wouldn't be much fun, would it? Every time I'd see you, you'd tell me everything you did to get there. And every time you saw me, I'd tell you everything I did to get there. And we'd be walking around heaven telling everybody, this is how I got to heaven. That's the way a lot of the world thinks. But I tell you, when we get to heaven, nobody's going to say that. We're all going to say, look at the Redeemer and the scars in his hands and in his side. I got to heaven because I believed in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. That's how everybody will be in heaven. And there won't be any room for boasting because we all got there with a gift. God knows if we got there any other way, we'd spend all eternity boasting about how we got there. You say, well, how do I get this gift, Pastor? Well, just as I took this gift from Donna, you reach out and take it. You say, well, how do I do that with salvation? The Bible says you do it through faith. Here's what faith is. Faith is forsaking all, I trust him. That's what it means. Faith means you bet eternity on Jesus Christ. Faith means you come to the place in your life where you say, I am going to trust Jesus Christ and him alone to forgive my sin and take me to heaven. That's what it means to have faith. If you believe that Almighty God has provided for you through rich grace, great love, great mercy, a free gift through faith, you allow Almighty God to save you. That's where this whole thing ends for a lot of folks. They believe all that I've said today, but they've never taken the step to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Forsaking all, I trust him. Not my works, not my church attendance, not my family, not my heritage. A lot of people think that they're Christians somehow because they were born into a Christian family. You don't inherit. God doesn't have any grandsons. He's only got children, no grandchildren. So you have to come to Christ by faith. That's the only way you ever get the free gift. That's the remedy. Isn't it a great remedy? It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. It's rich mercy. It's great love. It's great grace. It's a free gift that we accept by faith. And now the Bible says what happens to us. We were once dead. And the Bible says we are now being made alive. Twice in the text that we're studying, we're told that we've been made alive. What does that mean? When you accept the gift, all of a sudden you come alive toward God and you can understand God's love and you can understand his grace and you have a desire in your heart to serve him. And that brings us to the result of salvation. That's the third thing. For in verse seven, it talks about the result for God. The result for God in salvation is that he's got all of us that he has saved to the praise and glory of his own grace throughout eternity. Notice what it says in verse seven. That in the ages to come, he may show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know what it's going to be like in heaven? Every one of us are trophies of God. God's going to spend eternity walking among his trophies. Every one of us are going to be trophies of the rich goodness and gracious love of Almighty God. God gets something out of salvation. You know what it is? An eternity with his redeemed children. But here's the result of it for us, and this is very important, and I want to make sure you get this, especially because many of us here today have already accepted the gift. 
The gift not only provides an eternal time for Almighty God, but for man, it says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now listen carefully, because this is really important. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. You can never be saved by doing enough good things, but after Almighty God saves you, he gives you the ability to do good things. In fact, over and over in the Bible, we are reminded as Christians that we're to do good works. God expects believers to be good, and he gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to do good things. Listen to these verses, and I'm going to go through them just as quickly as I can so you get the abundant impact of all of these scriptures. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, what? For every good work. Titus 2, 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. And James, do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And what that verse means is that faith that is not evidenced in works is a dead faith. My friend, if you can become a Christian and not change, you haven't become a Christian. Because the Bible says God's nature comes into you. And when his nature comes into you, you start living differently. If you are a Christian and you look back and you realize that your life hasn't made any changes at all, something's wrong. Maybe you better revisit your salvation and find out whether you're truly in the faith. Because when you become a Christian, Almighty God says he ordains you for good works. Now look down at your Bibles, and I want you to notice one word as we close. It says here, for we are his workmanship. Underline the word workmanship. You know what that word is in the Greek language? Listen to me. That word is the translation of the Greek word poema, from which we get the word poem. We are God's poem. God has saved us, rescued us, brought us up out of deadness, given us new life, and now we are to be his literary masterpiece. God's writing a poem in your life and in mine. Isn't that amazing? God wants us to live out our whole lives as an exquisite poem for honor and glory to him. Have you looked at your poem lately? What kind of a poem are you writing for God as a believer? Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about the Word's greatest text. And the way um, I should introduce this is to say to you, if I were to ask you, what is the most famous verse in the Bible? Most of you would say John 3.16. Um, many times when people are baptized and are giving their testimony at Shadow Mountain, they quote that verse because it is the Word's greatest text. You may think there's nothing you can learn about John 3.16, but let me tell you, I've been studying the Bible about 50 years, and I learned something from John 3.16 that I didn't know. And I'll share it with you when we get together tomorrow here on this great station.
By the way, um, don't forget, there's a study guide for this series. You can get that from davidjeremiah.org. Once again, you can get the Living the 66 Books of the Bible gift book, which is available during the month of June for those who send a gift. You must ask for this book when you send your gift, and if you do, you will get it. It's 287 pages. It's a hardback book. I got mine in the mail yesterday. Yeah, I'm on the mailing list. And um, it's very substantial, very beautiful, very helpful, and very motivating. Practical application for each book of the Bible to encourage and challenge you to study the entirety of God's Word. I hope you'll get your copy by giving your gift this month. And when you ask for it, we'll send it. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to know how Turning Point is encouraging you. So please write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled up to $50,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. It doesn't happen every day, and it doesn't happen the same way or at the same time to each of us. But it does happen when we encounter excellence in our journey through life. It might be in a book, a performance, a person we meet, or the satisfaction we feel when we know we've done our best work. For me, those encounters with excellence are echoes of Eden, that time and place when God displayed His excellence through His creation. 
Sadly, excellence has been diluted and tarnished by sin. But we can still strive to honor God by doing what we do with all of our hearts. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's excellence on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.